electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm John Fort. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Our business is very different from Apple's business. We feel like we experienced probably two to three years of growth in 18 months. Jeff called me and asked me if I was interested. When you experience great voice apps, it makes tapping on an app so circa 2005. We won't compromise on it. Happy Tuesday. Welcome to a special edition of Tech Check. I'm John Fort with Carl Quintanilla and Julia Borston. Today, the interview, our exclusive sit-down with Amazon CEO Andy Jassy. The challenges, pressures, and future for Amazon on almost every topic you can think of and how he's approaching them as the new chief executive takes the reins from Jeff Bezos, Carl. John, we can't wait for it. Uh, moments away, of course. So we did open with a gain on the Dow, triple digits at least, 120 or so, but lost it and now down about 200, uh, despite the cooler-than-expected CPI number, which did give futures a bit of a bounce. We've got the Apple event, of course, in a couple of hours, and we continue to monitor, uh, monitor, monitor uh, Gary Gensler on the Hill, John. Uh, well, let's get right to it. Andy Jassy, starting with antitrust, regulatory pressures from Washington, the perception of Amazon as a monopoly, and a persistent question about the structure of AWS. Okay, Andy Jassy, here we are again. And now you're not the CEO of AWS, you are the CEO of Amazon. Congratulations. And so, is it any more likely than it's been the previous five or six times I've asked that you think it's a good idea to spin out AWS from Amazon? I knew you'd ask me that question. <laughs> Every do. year you ask Every me year. that question. So I figured I'd get it out of the way up front. No, I, I don't think it's any more likely. Mm. You know, I think all the same things we've talked about in the past um, make it, you know, a long shot. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, last week, uh, a judge ruled in the Apple Epic case in, I think, a way that has some broader implications for technology, um, for big tech. I mean... Similar to Apple, customers love Amazon, but there's all this government pressure these days um, to perhaps change business practices. So I, I wonder, do you think Amazon's focus continues to be on the customer solely and that ends up solving the other problems? Or is there a different way now as CEO that you need to adjust because of the government messages and pressures? I think that always our focus is going to be Customers, You know, I think if you look at, I've been at the company for 24 and a half years now, John, and the strategy is, is largely the same, which is, you know, we exist to help make customers' lives better and easier, and we relentlessly invent to make it so. And that's always going to be our approach in, in lots of different types of areas where we can help customers have a better customer experience. So that will always be our focus. And I think that when, when you look at, um, you know, 
efforts to look at larger companies that have been more successful, you've got to always look at what you're trying to do and what you're trying to accomplish and make sure in the process you don't hurt some of the people that, uh, and some of the businesses that have made you know, very good livings off of some of those properties. And so when I think about Amazon, we have over 550,000 small and medium-sized businesses that get access to Amazon's hundreds of millions of customers in a way they wouldn't be able to otherwise access. I mean, it's easy to have a website. Uh, it's, it's, it's inexpensive to do so, and, and most of the small businesses have that. But to get access to hundreds of millions of customers is hard, and, mm. and it, we want to make sure in whatever we do we don't hurt small and medium-sized businesses or consumers who have very broad choice and selection in prices and low prices because of all those sellers. So I, I think that whenever you're looking at trying to address something like businesses that, got, that have gotten larger, you've got to make sure you do so in a way that doesn't harm small and medium-sized businesses and, and consumers. And I wonder about this divide in perception and in messaging that's coming on that very point. Um, Four weeks before you officially became CEO in July, a group of lawmakers in the House Antitrust Subcommittee put forward five bills that specifically target four companies, Apple, Facebook, Google, and you guys, Amazon. And in the press release, uh, David Sicily and the congressman said, right now, unregulated tech monopolies have too much power over our economy. A judge just said one, at least one of those companies is not a monopoly, at least in the App Store. What? What is your response to that framing and that messaging of what's going on in the economy? Well, again, each of these companies and each of these businesses are very different from one another. So that term of, of big tech uh, never really resonates for me because mm -hmm. technology is really a delivery mechanism. And our business is very different from Apple's business, which is really different from Google's business, which is really different from Microsoft's business and Facebook's business. So they're all different. And I think that when, when you look at... Um, whether a company is a monopoly or not, you know, the first thing you look at is, you know, what kind of market segment share they have. If you look in our retail business, our retail business is just about 1% of the worldwide retail market segment. So it's, you know, it's, it's nowhere close to a majority share. And uh, usually monopolies are, are you, you kind of look at monopoly power when you have the power to increase prices in an unconstrained way where there isn't competition. And if you look in our businesses, all of them, and again, I'll, I'll just start with retail, we compete with very large companies. These are companies like Walmart and Target and Kroger and, you know, and, and some very um, successful digital companies like eBay and Etsy and Wayfair. And we don't have the ability to, to raise prices in any kind of unfettered way. In fact, if you look at what we normally do, we're constantly taking prices down because there's a lot of competition in these markets. So, again, it, it sometimes the rhetoric sounds good, but you've got to look at what reality is. And at 1% of worldwide retail, it's, it's hard to argue that's a monopoly. Mm. Um, well, let's talk pandemic because I think a lot of people experienced shopping through e-commerce during the pandemic. And what's your take on how, if at all, that event that we're still in uh, has influenced both e-commerce, uh, Amazon's mission, the perception of Amazon? Well, I think that the pandemic, I mean, what a crazy period. I don't think any of us have lived through anything like that before, and I hope we never lived through anything like that after. And I think very early on in the pandemic, we realized that whatever role Amazon plays in the world typically we were going to have to play an increasingly important role with so many uh, establishments that were going to be shut down. And so, you know, I, I think um, 
more and more people were for you know people had been using e-commerce for a long time but always in combination with physical retail and the overwhelming majority of retail remains in, in physical retail but because of the pandemic more and more people had to try e-commerce and i think that they realized that it was um, convenient and broad selection and, and lower prices and i think that you'll see moving forward an increasing amount of share that's moving to e-commerce over time. Did you feel like you guys, even you, you've got physical retail, Whole Foods, were more ready or, you know, were maybe taking plans for 2023 and, and pulling them forward or anything like that? Yeah, I think that we've, um, we feel like we experienced probably two to three years of growth in 18 months. And so uh, I don't, you couldn't probably responsibly plan for, for a pandemic or the amount of capacity that's needed. Just to give you an idea, John, we spent the first 24, 25 years of Amazon building a very broad fulfillment center network. And over the last 18, to 18 months to two years, we've had to double that footprint. Mm. So it, it, it brought on unprecedented demand. I think that um, there were plenty of things in the process that we know we could do better, but I think the, um, the way that we were able to help so many people get the PPE they needed, the food they needed, the items they needed, both to function as well as um, to stay sane during the pandemic when we we're all at home. And you know, on the AWS side, just the ability to allow companies and governments to have business continuity, I think it was, it was pretty remarkable. And um, we're really proud of how, how we tried to help during the pandemic. Yeah. Another part of the pandemic, um, I think around 18-ish months before it hit us, at least in the US, Amazon announced HQ2 right? Uh, physical space, Virginia, build out. Now in the world of work that we're in, where there's more remote, there's more hybrid, if you were doing it all over again, in a sense, I guess you're doing everything all over again every day. Do you have to change the HQ2 plan? Do you need an HQ2 in the same sense that you might have thought you needed one two years ago? It's a great question. Uh, I think so much is, is undetermined now as we um, start to have people come back to physical offices. And I think all of us are trying to sort out what that's going to look like. You know, I, I think that people will have much more flexibility than they had in the past. They will work from more places and locations than they did in the past. It remains to be seen whether people are really back most of the days of the week or not. I think a lot of it will relate to the function that you perform. There are certain jobs where you can just as easily, in some cases, more effectively work remotely. If you take an, an engineer, for example, when they get into the mode of coding, being on their own where they're not distracted or, or interrupted is, is very helpful. And there are other jobs where you really need to be with the team physically to collaborate and invent and, and build together. And so I think we're, we're sorting all that out like everybody else. I don't think we regret in any way, shape, or, or fashion having HQ2 in Arlington. Uh, we, I think we believe that the future while maybe more hybrid, that we're gonna we're gonna often have people in the office together, and we're gonna want people to gather together, and we wanted to have uh, our teams in a more distributed fashion than we were before. And uh, Arlington has been a terrific partner for us. We've hired uh, many thousands of people on our way to 25,000 in the next few years, and I think that's a great partnership, and we're really excited about it. Do you have to rethink economic impact, because that's calculated based on assumptions about? people being in offices and going down for lunch and small businesses getting that kind of an impact where 
there's probably still an impact, but maybe people are at home and ordering in. Uh, are there ways, you got Amazon Go stores too, and are probably thinking yeah. about where to put them. Are there ways that this is causing you to rethink not only the kind of promises and obligations to a local government under different you know, cultural circumstances pre-pandemic, but also how you do your own physical retail locations? I think that we're, we're like everybody, we're, we're trying to figure out what the changes will actually be. We have belief that we're going to have a lot of people in the offices. And as I said, I don't know if it'll be every day, but we'll have, I think people will be in a meaningful amount over time as they get more comfortable coming back to work. And so, you know, we, we generate a lot of jobs in, you know, the various cities in which we live. And we also, I think over the last few years, have invested a lot more in being a good neighbor and, and giving back to the community. And I think we're off to a good start with our partnership with Arlington. And I expect that to continue. Julia, he doesn't like that term, big tech. Uh, we use it a lot, and he's got an argument that not only are they not a monopoly, but watch out for SNB and consumers as you put this pressure on the larger technology-involved companies. Yeah, fantastic interview, John. And I just found it fascinating the way he laid out the defense uh, to that antitrust attack, uh, arguing that they can't raise prices, that they, they don't have the power to do so. And instead, they normally put pressure on prices. Also, the fact that they're all about the consumer helping individual consumers as well as small and medium businesses. Carl, it really gives us some insight into how they're going to be addressing some of that critique. Uh, and the other advantage, of course, is that John has talked to him in the past. And I'm trying to decide, John, whether directionally his comments about return to office are a little more to the hybrid side or not, because he although he did say you got to be in the office depending on your job, maybe not every day. Yeah, definitely hybrid, Carl. It's, the question seems to be how much and how soon, you know, we uh, walked outside of Amazon's day one building after the sit down interview. And he pointed out how one restaurant right across the street had changed over during the pandemic and there was a sort of stop and start. But um, we also talked about labor issues. So there's a lot more of this interview still to come. And Amazon employs nearly a million people in the U.S. Andy Jassy on the company's hiring spree, labor challenges. That's next. Stay with us. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back. Amazon announcing today that it plans to hire 125,000 workers, boosting its average starting wage in the U.S. to more than $18 an hour. But despite the wage boost, Amazon has faced criticism of its employment practices from labor groups and politicians on both sides of the aisle. Let's get back to CEO Andy Jassy. 
Let's talk about uh, workers. I was struck by uh, Jeff's statement in the last shareholder letter. Um, he wrote, we are going to be Earth's best employer and Earth's safest place to work. And then later he wrote, we don't set unreasonable performance goals. We set achievable performance goals that take into account tenure and actual employee, employee performance data. Um, two things are out there that push against that. Many of us have heard about the pee bottles and, and delivery drivers. But there's also this group of labor unions that says that Amazon's workplace injury rate between 2017 and 2020 was twice as high as Walmart's, 50% higher than UPS in delivery. Is that the same data that you look at, or are there differences there? And what's, what do you do about it? Well, you know, for us, um, employee safety is the priority priority number one for us in our fulfillment centers. We have over 6,000 people that are uh, safety professionals. That's all they do. Um, we spent, um, we'll end up spending about a little over $300 million alone this year on safety in the fulfillment centers, and we won't compromise on it. And so we're working really hard at it. I think we've made a lot of progress, but we, you know, there's no shortage of things that we're working on continually to help people with some of the injuries that they can sometimes encounter in, in, a, in a physical manual job, but it is our first priority. So what's the, what's the playbook, not to share the secrets, but the playbook to making progress? Is it looking at the data in the Amazon way and figuring out how to do training, which I know, you know you've got the videos and you've got the practices about that. Um, is it dedicating a different kind of R&D effort to it? Well, I think it's everything. You know, we, we, we obviously look at the data. Um, uh, we, you know, just in COVID, in the COVID time alone, in the pandemic, we redesigned 150 different processes um, to try and make sure that we, we keep people safe and healthy. Um, there's a lot of training that goes into it. Um, we're working on all kinds of musculoskeleton uh, types of, of apparatus and inventions to allow people to be safer in how they work. And it's a great thing, by the way, we'd be happy if you haven't been through a fulfillment center, we'd be happy to take you there and you, yeah. you can see some of the things we're working on there. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a number of those things over time. And, and also employees have the ability to, uh, to also tell us when there are things that they think they're doing that could be safer or they could help them be more um, more healthy, we, we're interested in that feedback, and they have that direct connection with our managers to do so. Hmm. Uh, on the employee front, uh, you were early in raising the minimum wage uh, to 15 and even above, and uh, you just announced this higher education benefit. You and I have talked about yeah. uh, education before, and you know through AWS, the work through community colleges. Why make that? freely available now? What's the message, the impact for employees, and just sort of what you think benefits-wise that means in 2021? Well, you know, I think if you strive to be Earth's best employer, um, and, uh, and we have 1.2 million employees in, in lots of different roles and a number of people in our fulfillment centers, there are a number of things that you got to work on uh, to, to live up to that goal. One of them we were talking about just now is a focus on, on an investment on safety. But we've known for a long time that we have to be competitive on compensation and benefits. And it's why, to your point, that we pioneered um, moving the minimum wage in our fulfillment centers uh, above $15. It's, it's continued to increase. So today, the average hourly salary is $18.32, which is more than double the federal minimum wage. Mm -hmm. you know, it's also more, John, than 40 million American workers make. And so we, we need to raise the federal minimum wage. I hope the government works on that. But 
It's not just the compensation, it's also the benefits. We have a set of benefits along with the compensation that are very unusual, you won't find elsewhere. Full health insurance, 401k, um, 20 weeks of parental leave. If you want to transfer that benefit to some of your uh, to your partner or significant other, you can do so. If you want to ramp back after the 20 weeks for eight weeks, working half the time, you can do so. Hmm. You know, and then uh, you know the career choice you're talking about. It's a program we've had for 10 years, but we've made a very significant enhancement to it a few days ago, where we're going to pay for our fulfillment center employees' college tuition, which is pretty amazing. And as well as if they want to do different upskilling and education each year to learn different skills, we're going to support that. And we're hopeful that a lot of those folks um, use that to continue to grow their careers at Amazon, but we also know some of it may be elsewhere, and that's okay too. And if you want to actually build a place that people can have great careers at and want to be at over a long period of time, you got to find ways to help people grow and to take on more skills, and that's really what Career Choice is about. you got a career day coming up. Yeah. Um, do you have to pursue that differently, execute it differently in this really tight labor environment? Well, I mean, the first thing that's different is just everything's virtual. Uh, and that's been true for the last 18 months. We've hired so many thousands of people over the last 18 months, completely virtual, you know, where, where they don't come in for physical interviews, which is so different than the first 25, 26 years of Amazon. Why can you do that, by the way? We talked about this a lot yeah. on air, that all these other companies are having trouble finding people. You just talked about benefits. You just talked about pay. I take it maybe you're getting feedback from those new employees on why they're joining you and not something else. Yeah. How, how are you doing it? Well, I mean, uh, the thing to remember is Amazon's a very unusual place to work. If you are somebody who um, likes to start with a customer and build all your strategies, strategies and tactics backwards from there, who likes to look at customer experiences and look at what's broken about them and gets excited about reinventing them, somebody who likes to build, somebody who likes to have a big impact on the world, I can't think of a place where you can do that better than at Amazon. And so I think it's very compelling to people. If you look at, um, you, you mentioned our career day, which starts in a couple days. Um, we announced that we're hiring 55,000 new employees in um, technology and in corporate, and then another 125,000 employees in our fulfillment center network. And, and they, the jobs are, are pretty broad. They range from software development engineers to AI and machine learning practitioners to product managers to designers to research scientists to all kinds of opportunities in entertainment. Uh, and it's because our businesses are growing. You know, mm -hmm. if you look at our, our retail and our AWS and advertising and devices and entertainment and some of our all-together new businesses, look at Kuiper, which is our low-Earth orbital satellite business, um, where we're investing $10 billion over the next few years. I mean, we, we have a lot of businesses that are growing really rapidly and, um, and where you have an, an opportunity to impact the world. And I think for the right type of, of person, um, you know, and I think there are a lot of those right type of people out there, it's very inspiring to have a mission that starts with the customer and builds backwards from there and then has the ability to have an impact on the world and make customers' lives better. Carl, he didn't push back uh, against the data out there suggesting injuries in Amazon warehouses are relatively high, but he did focus on how they're trying to fix it, and they're doing a lot on comp and benefits. Uh, yeah, that's a fair amount of money, $300 million on, on safety and fulfillment, John. And you got to be fascinated by just the cultural discussion, just sort of the hints that he gives you in his answers about what he means when he says for the right type of person to work at a culture that we know is very unique. Yeah. Uh, Julia, the brand also perhaps seems to be helping them. 
Absolutely. And Don, I just thought it was so interesting when it came to, you know, this question of how do you attract workers in such a tight labor market? He really laid out how they're playing defense, really working on all the new technologies to better protect workers in the warehouse. And at the same time, prioritizing all these educational benefits that can help lure them. I mean, we've seen at Target and Walmart and so many other companies start to offer free college education to their workers. And I think this whole idea of upskilling is going to be valuable to Amazon. Not only do they want to use that as a lure, but then also they can hold on to those workers and help those workers grow with them because this company, it seems like it's just going to keep getting bigger, John. Yeah. And he and I have talked in the past about the community college system and AWS in particular, how it was working with community colleges, Carl, to train them in exactly the sorts of skills that Amazon's cloud operations need people to have. Not everybody needs a four-year degree. He said there's a big opportunity there and notable that he is questioning um, kind of the the long-term viability of at least some of the four-year colleges out there. I know the four-year colleges are starting to get very concerned uh, because parents are concerned about how actionable that education is going to be. Yeah, it's, a, it's a, for the money, John. Uh, what kind of payoff are you getting on the back end? And it really is a comment of what, say, for example, Germany has been able to do, where trade schools are a big part of their economy, a very efficient feeder into the labor force. And again, it's just a reminder of Amazon's power that they're weighing in on some of these big macro issues. Yeah, well, a lot more of that interview still to come, including the phone call from Jeff Bezos alerting Jesse to a CEO opening. That conversation is next. Don't go anywhere. Most decisions I've made in my life that I didn't consult my wife on was a mistake. And, <laughs> that would um, be a big one. But I was, yeah. Yeah, I was um, pretty quick in, in saying yes. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. (laughs) I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. One element of Jeff Bezos' legacy will be whether this handoff to Andy Jassy as the second CEO of Amazon is seen as a success. Jassy has long run the cloud operation, Amazon Web Services. I asked him how he found out he was the pick to be Amazon's next CEO and how he intends to run the broader company now. Take a listen. Jeff called me and asked me if I was interested. Uh, He told me he was contemplating doing something different, stepping away, and asked me if I was interested in it. It was the early part. um, It was very early in, in, in 2021, and I was obviously flattered and honored and I wanted to talk with my wife about it. Um, most decisions I've made in my life that I didn't consult my wife on was a mistake. And, uh, <laughs> that would um, be a big one. But me. I was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was um, pretty quick in, in saying yes. Um, so all this by phone. Yeah. Because uh, we're in the pandemic. Yeah. What, if anything, do you first think about that you need to do differently? Um, were you? I mean, succession planning, I guess, is pretty uh, common. So you might have already had that in mind. But AWS is your baby, right? So what do you do about that? What, if anything different, do you do to prepare for the broader purview? Well, 
you're right. The first, you know, probably the first thing I thought about was how to make sure we had the right succession plan in AWS. And, you know, we were really lucky and fortunate in AWS, and it, it really was a big part of why the business has been successful so far, that we had a very strong leadership team. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of times the leader gets too much credit when things go well. And the truth is that any significant-sized business, and AWS is a $60 billion revenue run rate business. It's growing 37% year over year. You have an operation in a business that's as large as that. You have to have great leaders, and you have to have great directs of those leaders, you know, mm -hmm. and, and great builders under, you know, uh, uh, all the way up through the business. And so the AWS team was very, very strong with a strong leadership, and uh, we were able to add somebody back in Adam Solipsky, who wasn't really an outsider. I mean, Adam helped build the business the first 11 years of AWS and ran sales and marketing and support, and so. To add Adam to an already really strong leadership team was, was really um, uh, very beneficial, and I'm excited about that. You know, I think also when you think about you know, the other things I tried to do in getting prepared for the role is just, um, you know, I, I had some background. I, you know, before AWS, I had worked for um, about a half dozen years in the consumer business. I you know, co-ran marketing for a while and built our business plan for uh, the music business and run it for a bit. And, I'd been in our S team meetings, our senior leadership team meetings for, for um, about 20 years where I got a chance to see a lot of the customer and consumer issues. But I, you know, I spent time trying to read all the business plans and trying to speak with all the leaders um, uh, of those businesses. And we, again, we're just very fortunate. We have a really strong leadership team across the entire business and all the endeavors we're pursuing. And I had a couple external folks give me some good counsel. And um, you know, you do as much as you can to get it prepared. But, um, you know, there's there's no substitute for for being in the job, and and there's no substitute for having a great leadership team, which we have. You still going to participate? I have so many CEOs in the tech space and even outside of it say, so, "Oh yeah, I know Andy Jassy." You know, blah, blah, blah. so I mean, you, you've been a part of it, and I imagine uh, you know closing some deals sometimes you might be useful. You're going to be involved in it in a different way than Jeff was. We'll see. Uh, you know, I, I think Adam will will really run that business, and he's the CEO of that business. And uh, you know, I, you don't forget about the relationships that you've built over several years, and I expect to maintain those relationships. I you know, I enjoy having those, and um, you know, and there's an increasing number of partners that we have who are AWS customers, but also work with Amazon in other parts of our business, whether it's devices or retail or ops or um, advertising, and so I expect I'll have some of those relationships, and however I can help the team, I will try to do so. Now, after the break, what is Amazon going to do with MGM, or the NFL for that matter? And what's the long game for its new branded TVs? Amazon CEO Andy Jassy on the company's media ambitions. Next, stay with us. I think all those experiences are in the process of being reinvented, and you'll see a lot more of that moving forward. Not a little reinvent in there. I Why not? That. Yeah. Keep an eye on Kathy Wood favorites UiPath and Tesla today. Wood telling Andrew Ross Sorkin at Salt that her big Tesla sale last week, $130 million worth, was just a tactical move to buy more shares of AI company and CNBC disruptor UiPath. The ARK Innovation ETF now holds 
$538 million worth of that stock. Read more about that at CNBC.com. We're back in two minutes with the final installment of John's Amazon interview. Let's get to the last part of our interview with Amazon's new CEO, Andy Jassy. Two key areas for the company I wanted to hit on. One, its ambitions in media, streaming, MGM and NFL games. And two, how it approaches artificial intelligence. Facebook had to apologize after its AI-labeled video, including a group of black men as involving primates. I asked Jassy for his reaction to that headline and Amazon's role in influencing the guardrails and policies around AI. AI and machine learning have made... They've made incredible strides over the last, I mean, really, it's something people have been working on for a few decades. I think particularly over the last 10 years, the strides that we've made uh, in that space are really substantial because the the cost, cloud computing made the cost of computing and, and storage uh, so much more accessible. But it's still a science that requires a lot of data and a lot of honing and a lot of refining of algorithms all the time. And there will be mistakes made. And uh, now I think you don't want to throw the entire discipline out because there are mistakes. I think you want to, you know, in, in my opinion, the people that use machine learning have to use it as a really important input, um, as one of several inputs you're going to make in a decision. And, you know, I think people have been using machine learning very successfully across a lot of dimensions, and where it often gets the most amount of scrutiny is in the law enforcement space. And mm-hmm. to me, uh, over time, um, I think we, you know, machine learning and AI, AI will get um, stronger and stronger such that it will be an important input in how we make law, uh, law, some law enforcement decisions. But it will be just one input of a human-driven decision. You have to make sure that you're making a human decision and use the different inputs you have, like they do in other investigations. But I think machine learning AI will keep getting better, and I think we shouldn't throw the baby out with bathwater simply when you have mistakes. I think sure. I also really believe, and we've talked about this for a few years, I think you and I have talked about this, and we've talked about it as a company, that the the federal governments should regulate what they want to see and what guardrails they want and how they're going to hold people responsible for using machine learning or AI in an irresponsible way. I mean, there's lots of technology we can all use all the time where you wouldn't want to ban that technology because it's enabled so many customer experiences. But when people are irresponsible with the technology, there should be ramifications. And I think the same should be true here, and I hope the governments you know, figure out the way they want to regulate it. And they, we want to do it in a smart way, and we're interested in helping participate and, and, and help. But I do think we could use some regulation there. Especially when it comes to perhaps having a disparate impact on certain groups of people. Yeah. Right. Um, media. Uh, MGM is a big deal. Uh, we were just talking with Roger Goodell. Uh, a few days ago on Tech Check about uh, the NFL and Sunday Ticket being available and talking to a broad uh, array of companies. And also, they want a tech partnership on really maximizing uh, what they do. So when you look at Amazon, all of it across e-commerce, AWS, Whole Foods for snacks during (laughs) movies and games, just all of it, where does media fit in strategically? What's the importance of it? And, I mean, are you interested in Sunday Ticket? <laughs> well, you know, I would say, you know, first of all, uh, with respect to 
the NFL, we have um, a very important partnership with them. Uh, we have on the AWS side for, for many years, as you know, we do the next-gen stats with the NFL and also their player health and safety efforts where they're trying to um, analyze hundreds of hours, uh, thousands of hours of video to understand when you have head injuries or lower extremity injuries and, and trying to change rules and equipment to address that. You know, and then of course we, you know, we took a further step in our relationship with the NFL with Thursday Night Football, and we're very, very excited about that starting in 22. And uh, we're going to try and, and, and be inventive in, in the experience we provide for fans. Uh, I think more generally, though, um, we have a lot of passion and optimism for what we're doing in the media space. I think if you look at the success we've had with Prime Video and Amazon Studios, uh, you know, we have. Hundreds of millions of people were watching our, our original content. Um, the people who um, who subscribe to Prime, you know, get all that content for free. Uh, it turns out when they actually consume the video uh, content, um, they also tend to engage in some of the other um, activities that, that are available through Prime. And Prime is a very broad set of benefits that we're increasing all the time. And I think it's still early days for us in media. I, mean, I think we're off to a great start, but, but we do believe we have an opportunity to provide unique viewing experience for our customers with really original and creative content. Then finally, new TVs. Just announced them, coming out next month. Is that where it all comes together? The advertising, the prime content, maybe even shopping on TV, is that what we should perhaps look for there? Well, I think um, we're really excited about the uh, the Omni Series Smart Fire TVs that we just announced, and um, I think um, they're going to be very capable. Uh, you know, it will it is integrated well with Alexa, so you'll be able to say, Alexa, what should I watch, and, and it will give you recommendations. You'll be able to say, Alexa, um, uh, help me find something on Netflix. It'll say, Alexa, play TikTok. We were the first to integrate um, TikTok with Fire TV, and so. I think for a long time, people have found a lot of value in um, the viewing experience, but also the selection of content that you have available on, on Fire TV and with what we have with our channels business. And uh, you know, and increasingly, people will do commerce. Um, uh, you know, in these mechanisms, you know, between what we do with Alexa and what we do um, in, in the living room, I think we have an opportunity to change what's possible for people and what's accessible to people. And you know, for those that want to use something tactile to manipulate it, they will. For those that want to use voice, you know, I, I remember so long ago, um, you know, 15, 20 years ago, how it was so inventive to, to have a, a, an app local and to tap on an app and, and, and get what you want. And when you, when you experience great voice apps, it makes tapping on an app so circa 2005. <laughs> and so I think all those experiences are in the process of being reinvented, and you'll see a lot more of that moving forward. Uh, how's that for a tease ahead to Apple's event? Tapping, so circa 2005, but I guess Apple's got Siri too. Julia, uh, Netflix and TikTok, the TV will work with that. Sounds like he might be interested in the NFL a bit, and people will do commerce eventually on these TVs. Oh, so much there. John, when he first took over, there were a lot of questions about whether Jassy would be as enthusiastic about investing in the media space as Bezos was. But I think it is 100 percent clear now that it is full steam ahead. It does sound like he's interested in those NFL rights. And it sounds like they're interested in spending even more on content because they see a direct connection, Carl, to that way that content gets people to spend more time on Amazon and also spend more money. 
Yeah, uh, it's hard to uh, ignore the the oncoming collision uh, between these two in the media space, John. And I guess cynically, uh, you do wonder if the timing of this particular interview was meant to take some oxygen out of the room ahead of the Apple event. <laughs> well, I, I think it might have had even more to do with career day for Amazon being tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, they are really on a hiring tear. There's a lot of focus on the warehouse issues that we talked about you know, the pee bottles, the uh, injuries. And he addressed uh, those injuries and the safety stuff that they're working on. But people are going to work for Amazon in part because of the brand, the vision, but also that pay that went up again today because of the benefits, some of which he outlined here. And, you know, the political implications are huge. He addressed some of that with the Monopoly talk and took that head on. I mean, this is a guy, he's, he's running the company, Julia, no doubt about that. No doubt about that. And also, I think really getting out there ahead of some of these issues, you know, making the point that they they pay much more than minimum wage, calling to raise minimum wage, really want to show wanting to show that he is trying it to be on the side of employees, though still there are so many complicated issues there in this tight labor market. But I think when you come to it comes to things like offering educational services, talking about those benefits and paid leave. I mean, they're doing everything they can because they need these workers, Carl. Yeah. Uh, Julia, I wonder, what are you still looking for, for clarity in what Amazon's doing with MGM? I mean, clearly they don't seem to be going for any kind of a walled garden approach when it comes to media. He called out Alexa working with Netflix and TikTok just right there in TVs. And I don't think that was a mistake. I don't think that was a mistake. Look, I think it'll be interesting to see what other types of companies they want to buy. I don't think they're done just yet. I think MGM may have just been the beginning. I wonder if they're going to be looking for more live sports rights, maybe even beyond the NFL. And also, I think there's so much to be said here about the potential for advertising, interactive advertising, and the fact that Amazon is now number three in the digital ad space behind just Facebook and Google, guys. Uh, fascinating, and uh, we'll hear just a touch more, I hope, on the other side of this break. Still to come, into its $12 billion acquisition of MailChimp we haven't mentioned yet. Plus, what to expect from Apple this afternoon as Tech Check is back after one last break. Pretty sizable deal in tech today. Intuit is buying digital marketing company MailChimp, known for email and newsletter management, $12 billion in cash and stock, and the company's biggest acquisition ever. Last year, the maker of TurboTax and QuickBooks bought Credit Karma for just over $7 billion, so a bit of an M&A stream over there. The market cap of Intuit already $155 billion and rising today. Of course, John, we've, we've talked to them uh, in the past couple of weeks about their ongoing transformation. Yeah, this is a big move by Sasan Ghadarzi. Um, I remember talking to Ben Chestnut at MailChimp years ago. A key moment, Julia, came when they expanded from being just about email newsletters to being about social media and helping small businesses to connect. And that's been an important part of the, um, of the Internet digital ecosystem. Yeah, really important for customer customer service management. And, guys, just it seems like the trend towards consolidation in that space could continue. And one more thing, in just an hour, the Apple event begins full coverage all afternoon on CNBC. The focus, as always, is on what new products will be announced, what the new iPhone will be, what it will cost. And now, of course, we have this new wrinkle of Apple's lawsuit with Epic and its relationship with the developers who are often featured throughout the presentation. 
So, guys, I'm wondering here if we're going to get a one more thing. I've been watching the tweets. Looks like it's going to be a kind of unusual presentation. California streaming. What do you think? Is there going to be anything different this time, John? Well, I think the most important thing is the iPhone and pricing. Lots of speculation about inflation's impact on Apple. My take is generally Apple has a lot of wiggle room, Carl, in how they price and configure the high end. If they can incentivize people, say through a terabyte of storage uh, flash-wise in the high-end phone to buy more high-end phones and they get those revenue and profit targets without having to do as much volume, which might help in a pandemic. I also want to mention uh, my thanks, of course, to Amazon CEO Andy Jassy for the sit-down. The full interview will be online shortly. Carl. Yeah, uh, it's fantastic work. Uh, we learned so much about him as, as the street's really trying to figure out um, who he is in some ways uh, since he leads such a massive powerhouse uh, in the markets and the economy. It's remarkable just how he's able to comment on huge macro issues, education, AI, uh, wages. It's just a testament to the tentacles that Amazon has in the modern American uh, economy. As for Apple, we'll continue to watch it. Uh, as to Julia's and John's point, uh, Goldman did suggest, did suggest maybe an installment plan as we'll keep our eye on not just products, but pricing. That'll do it for Tech Check. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.